This is episode number 33 with plane crash survivor Dave Sanderson. Welcome to Growth Mindset University. My name is Jordan Paris, 20-year-old author and host of this show. And with this show, it is my mission to bring you empowering people and messages to help you learn anything and take control of your life while fulfilling your vision of success. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and school is now in session. Welcome to the University of Life, my friends. Today we have a very special guest, and besides the fact that he is a TED speaker seen in major media outlets, he's got a really unique perspective shifting story about him. And to explain that a little more, I'm going to hand you off to a very dear friend of mine. Hey, everybody. Just a two-second blog today. Um, uh, I'm really proud of a dear, dear friend of mine uh, by the name of Dave Sanderson. That's my hero, Tony Robbins, talking about my guest today, Dave Sanderson. I'm sure many of you saw today, if you watched the news, everyone saw the miracle on the Hudson, as they called it, as uh, the airplane that was taking off from LaGuardia, I think it was three o'clock this afternoon, um, was had a double bird strike. And the pilot was miraculous in the way he landed the plane. He was trying to get back to LaGuardia and couldn't. Um, and my dear friend Dave was on that flight. He was supposed to be on a flight later in the evening and he got on an earlier flight to try and get home to his family. And he said it was all of a sudden you felt the whole you know airplane start to shake and they looked up and they were heading straight into Manhattan. If this man had not, the pilot had not been just totally steady in the management of his state, everything we talk about here, he said, you know, we we're going to be crashing. There's going to be a lot of people dead, not just on the airplane, 150 people on the plane, but the buildings they would have hit. It would have been almost like a terrorist strike done from within our own country without meaning to be. Uh, but the pilot was brilliant, as I'm sure you know, and he landed in the Hudson rather than the ocean there, he, and he found a way to land the plane in a really flat way. But as they opened up and tried to get people out of the plane, uh, there was a challenge. They got hit by a tugboat on the side, and water dave said started to fill this thing up and it was frigid freezing water and uh the reason i'm putting out this little message is really just to acknowledge my dear friend he's um he's one of those people that has such a good soul he's um for a decade and a half almost uh he's been the head of my security one of my head of my security team members and traveled the world with me and practice everything we teach about state management and how under the most stressful situations how to find that center within yourself and how to find a way to serve and you know, Dave's a father, he's got family, but he stayed on that plane. He was the last one off that airplane. Uh, he was being interviewed tomorrow morning, I know, by uh, I think Good Morning America. But he's the last one on the airplane, and he's off the airplane, making sure everybody got off, making sure these children got on the lifeboat, holding the lifeboat back against the plane. Uh, it was really a team effort by all kinds of people, but he's the last one there, and he's so frozen at the end. He literally was trying to swim to the boat, and it was sinking, and a couple of guys grabbed him and pulled him up on the boat. Uh, and when I spoke to him, I guess it was a couple hours later, he was still freezing, but his whole focus was that he was supposed to be on that plane. That, you know, when this all happened and people were freaking out, people were weird. Some people were trying to grab their luggage, if you could imagine, as the, the plane sinking there in the Hudson in the freezing water. Uh, but he had the coolness within his head to say, okay, I'm, I'm gonna find a way to help people and serve, make sure everybody gets off healthy and safe, risk his own life to do it. 
So just a shout out to uh, Dave Sanderson, just uh, an unsung hero who I've known for years, who, whose character is rewarded today. I know uh, his house was um, surrounded by the media there, and uh, his daughter said, yeah, my dad knows Tony Robbins, and he, you know, he's walked on fire. And Dave said, I just want to warn you, there's all this media coming. And he said, I just don't want you to get blindsided. said, Dave, you know, for me to be even slightly associated with um, your character, your positive, your heroic actions, I said, uh, you know, I can't complain about that in any way. I'm just really grateful that your wife and your children who know who you are inside have even something even more to be proud of. And also that the kind of man I've known Dave to be all these years, uh, the world knows him to be as well. So it's just a blog of acknowledgement saying, Every one of us got a hero inside. Every one of us has a capacity in the most difficult times to find our strength. And uh, it's nice to see a miracle on the Hudson and know that part of that miracle was an extraordinary pilot. And another part of that was a dear friend who, even when he could barely function, made sure other people's lives were being saved and supported. So love you, Dave. And uh, anybody watching, if you know Dave Sanderson and you're a graduate, send a little note out to him or reach out to him. Let him know you love him. I'd really appreciate it. God bless you all. Live strong live with passion. Thanks for setting the scene there, Tony. And now without further ado, here is my interview with Dave Sanderson. We had a really good time. I had a really great time connecting with Dave. I'm so grateful I got the chance to talk to him. And here he is. He survived one of the most famous plane crashes in history. He's a TED speaker and much more. Welcome back to the show, Growth Mindset University. Dave Sanderson, welcome to the show today. Jordan, thank you for having me today. It's my pleasure. So right off the bat, I always ask everyone the same question right here. What is your why, your purpose, cause, or belief? What is your higher purpose, your reason for being and doing what you do? What is your why? I think the purpose of my life is to be happy, realizing I accomplish anything I can desire when I have faith in my creator, inspiring others to be the same. Simple. Simple. So what, so there's, you got me with happy there. And I saw that in your Ted talk, Um, you're talking about being happy. What does being happy mean to you? I think a lot of people use it, use that word. And a lot of people don't know what they mean. Maybe, um, or, and it's, um, I don't want to say it's like taboo or cliche, like, oh, I, would, I just want to be happy. I, what do you think when you say the word happy? What do you have in mind when you say your purpose is to be happy? Yeah, how I relate happy is when I have joy in my life. And Kaylee you knows, I'm just, you know, after, after you survive a plane crash, you get to put things in a different perspective for Kenley. You know, there are times when there are times when I'm not happy where things are just not going the way, but then you put things in the proper perspective. And you know what? I, I have so much gratitude right now. And the gratitude makes me happy that, you know, I faced, I faced tough situations. So I just, uh, when I have joy, I'm, I'm happy. Right. Uh, so speaking about that plane crash, the elephant, the elephant in the room. I'm sure you've talked about this so many times, and you've asked the question so been asked the question so many times. Um, but during those, I don't know, four minutes, I guess that the plane was going down. What was it? Six. Yeah. Six minutes. Okay. During the six minutes that the plane was going down, 
what were your thought processes? Take me through that. Put, put us all in that situation. Uh, <laughs> did you, did you ever like resign? So I'll give you the, uh, the, the 30,000 foot look. How about that? Because I think very few people who are probably listening have experienced a plane crash. I mean, it's no. just something that doesn't happen quite that frequently. Thank God. And hopefully no one here is going to be facing one. But what, what happens is, is, you know, you just go about your business, right? I mean, I didn't pay attention to instruction because I fly 100 times a year. So you get into that state of mind, you know everything, right? You know everything. You've done it. Yeah, no big deal until something does happen. And, you know, when, when I heard the explosion is when I knew something had happened. But, you know, I, I was in C-15A, so I looked out the window. And, you know, I saw fire coming out from the left wing, but I knew planes have multiple engines. So it didn't freak me out at that point. I mean, you know, candidly, I wasn't supposed to be on that plane anyway. I was catching, I, I was catching an earlier flight. So mm. you know, I was like, you know, I gave up a first class seat on the five o'clock flight to be back, back to get home early because I've been traveling. So, you know, I knew that I had another engine. So, you know, it's like, it's going to be delayed. So my mindset was, we're going to be delayed. We're going back to the airport to get another, another plane. Because I felt him banking. Felt the plane bank is okay. Just turn around, right? No big deal. Until until the plane crossed over the George Washington Bridge, and then the pilot said his famous words: "This is your captain. Brace for impact." Mm-hmm. And that's the moment where I knew it was serious. At that moment, I mean, I've heard other people say that it's a dire situation and we're going down, but I just thought it was a serious situation. You know, I mean, but then you cross over and you look out of the window and you see people's faces looking up at you, like, "Whoa, we're pretty close to this thing." And all of a sudden, it's like you're going straight into the river. It's like, you know, it's like 60 seconds. And I tell people it's that last moment. Um, and I, I'll, I'll give you a point of reference on this. I have a friend who survived the earthquake in Haiti a couple of years ago. Oh, yes. And she was caught in the rubble for multiple hours until they got her out. And then she couldn't get to the airport. I mean, it was a, it was a mess. And she and I spoke about this. And it was interesting. She gave me a very similar mindset that I had. But while I was going down and she was in the rubble, it's like, you know, you get so clear, much clarity of your of why you're here. You see uh, everything in your life passes before your eyes. Like, now I see why my life is coming because you're in your final seconds. Your mindset's like, this is it. You know, I have only a few more seconds and this game is over. So you get clarity on what, what your life was about. And that's why I think when people came out, you saw how much gratitude people had for not only the first responders and the crew, but it's like, wow, I, you know, I wasn't supposed to be here. So you, could, you have clarity in those final seconds, but I tell people there's, there's two parts to the story. It's part of the plane getting down and man, okay, I survived a plane crash, but now you got water coming in a plane and you're waist deep. I was about waist deep. I probably need a waist deep in the water at that point because I was towards the back. The back of the plane was like, it was sort of angled up, right? The back was in the water, the front was sticking out. So the back had more water than the front. So the front of the plane had like ankle deep. We were about probably need a, thigh deep and the back plane was like waist to up deep so now you gotta get out of water so i tell people at that point it's a total team effort i mean it's you know no one freaked out which i think the passenger makeup of the plane had a lot to do with that people don't give that enough credit i i talk about that when i i I, in my longer talks because you know that can determine the total outcome two things can really determine outcome once the plane's down you're alive getting that door open and the passenger makeup of the plane. If you don't get the door open, it doesn't matter. Mm. It doesn't matter, right? The plane's either gonna go on fire or you're gonna sink. 
And if the passenger makeup, and the, I, I'll give you a point of reference. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Flight with Denzel Washington. When he's flying, he's a, he's a captain. He's flying a plane out of Orlando to Atlanta, and they have a plane crash. And, but you look at the makeup of the plane coming out of Orlando, because I fly out of Orlando a lot. Um, and you contrast that with the passenger makeup of New York. Orlando is people going to amusement parks and on vacation. So it's families. People in New York are business. Mm, so totally true. different 180 degree difference uh, so if you had this happen say in florida uh, you may not have have a shot or in new york people are in the business mindset like okay i got to solve problems right i got a problem i got to solve it let's do it and that's what pretty much people went through that business mode so mm. yeah you, you have fewer variables so i say you know i tell people why well, coach i say when you got to play you got to look at that passenger makeup it can determine the entire outcome and make sure you know who's on the doors because they don't get the door out it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. What was your, uh, what was your instinct when the, when the plane literally hit the water? Uh, My game plan, Jordan, I mean, initially, once I figured out I, I survived, because when I figured out, head, I, yeah. Yeah. Cause my head was down. Like everyone, I'm was, everyone was probably like confused, but we survived. Yeah, and I think everybody, if you've seen the movie, Sully. I did, yeah. It was pretty, it was fairly representative because people were like, and look up, like, I survived. Now what do I do, right? And get out. And so, you know, I think that was the moment. So my game plan was, because I was in seat 15A, get to the aisle, get up, and get out. That's what I mean. I had a very simple game plan. If I survived, get up, get out, right? When I got to the aisle, that changed everything because when I looked up, you know, I tell, and I, I tell this once again in my longer talks, I saw people climbing over seats to get out. That's how people got, a lot of those people got out. And that's why he had, when, it's a lesson, a metaphor for my life now. When you think you have no options, you got one option, you have one way to do something, all of a sudden, if you're resourceful, multiple options open up. And all of a sudden, instead of having one option, get up to the aisle, all of a sudden, you can climb over seats. Mm. They got three different options to get out of the plane. So it's a metaphor for my life. It's like, if I, if I can turn my resourceful button on, right? Hit it, I'm resourceful. This, now I can figure out, because Tony Robbins taught me, right? You have one thing, you don't have any choices. You have, this is it. You have two things, you have options. You have A or B, but your goal in life for every decision you make is to have three things, a choice. Because if you have three things, you have a choice, right? I can do A, B, or C. You can have a choice. You have a choice. And life's about choices and the choices we make. So fortunately for me, I had that, I knew that, but I learned that. But when I got to the aisle, you know, once again, my game plan was to get out of the plane. Well, I mean, I wasn't messing around, but I heard my mom talk to me because when my mom passed away in 1997, you know, I remember something she told me when I was a kid. It was like, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. See, and I tell people what I realized after that situation, um, and I didn't realize about my mom, is that, you know, she never told us what to do. She made us make choices, made us make decisions. And that's something that as a parent now, I wish I had done a better job at. And I think a lot of parents probably think they can do a better job at is, you know, we make decisions for our kids. This is what you're going to do. This is how you do it. Just do it. So if you make the decision and you live with the consequences. See, I could have gotten out of the plane. She didn't say go back and help people. She said, if you do the right thing. And I had to make a value judgment on the right thing for me. And the right thing was helping other people. That's how I got one towards the back of the plane. I saw people climbing towards. I climbed over the seats, got behind everybody, started making my way out of the plane with them behind them. So I knew I was the last 
least the last passenger out from that part of the plane because I was behind him. But, you know, I was first light that I saw was on the right side in the door is happened to be 10F and Kaylee Jordan, my game was to get out. I mean, everybody's climbing down on the wing. I'm climbing on the wing, but they, I got, there was no room on the wing or the boat for me. Mm-hmm. That's why I was inside the plane for about seven minutes, waist deep in 36 degree water. Mm-hmm. And then I held on to the lifeboat because the lifeboat was floating out into the river because of the current. And yeah, no one, including me who reads the instructions is tethered to the plane. No one knew that. So they just kept yelling, hold on. So that's why there was a picture on Good Morning America of me holding on to this little lifeboat, waist deep in 36 degree water, which I show in my talks. And it uh, sort of reminds me of what happened that day. It's something I'll never be able to fathom, just the whole situation. But uh, do, you, do you have a sort of relationship with the people that were on the ride and to the left of you, do you still know those people today or I'm just curious. I met, I've met a majority of them. Uh, I went at the right side of the plane. So I know a lot of those people. Okay. And the gentleman who I ended up in the hospital with, uh, he and I have become probably the closest friends. He actually lives about two miles from, from where I'm living right now. We didn't know we both were from Charlotte and the same part of Charlotte. Uh, so he and I have become closer friends, but um, I, I, I stay in contact with a few, but, you know, everybody sort of um, got their own world. So, uh, yeah. you know, and I'm in my own world and, and they're in their own world. And, but we have, a, we have a Yahoo group that we sort of stay in contact with. Ah, very nice, very nice. What are the sort of everyday decisions, the choices that we make? Because you had been talking about the choices you had on that day. What were some, what are some of the choices that each of us has every day that we can make? Oh, well, way I think you choose to be happy or not happy. We talk about happiness when we started off, right? Yeah. You can choose to be happy or not. I mean, it's all up in your mindset, right? I mean, it's, it's how are you wired, right? And it's a lot of people wake up and you know, I, I give the point of content references, you know, you know, people go to their jobs and they hate their jobs. They're not happy. They do. Why, why do you think people leave jobs because they hate their jobs, right? So people can make, you can make a decision whether to be happy or not. So I think, you know, we make choices. On, I mean, I tell my kids this. I got four kids, and I've told them this from day one when they were born all the way up. And hopefully, they've listened. Is yeah, you're gonna be judged on the choices you make, and there are consequences to every choice, positive or negative, and you gotta live with those. And if I make every choice for you, how are you gonna make choices when you get out in the real world? So I let my kids fail a lot. Uh, probably not fail enough. I probably should have let them fail more mm-hmm. because. You know, some of them are challenged right now because they freak out because something happens in their apartment. And I'm like, that's life. Now, what are you going to do about it? It's how you respond, right? It's, it's not what happens. It's how do you respond from what happened? Right, and right. I, I try to teach these, especially Gen X and millennial folks, is like, you know, you, know, you, want, you want to progress quickly because you've seen people get on YouTube and you can progress quickly, very quickly. All of a sudden, you're here, but you don't know how to handle it, right? You want to be a leader, but you've never – know how what it takes to be a leader so that's why you need people who who walk their talk that's why people go to a tony robbins or somebody else so they can learn these skill sets and that's why i think part of my legacy now is these things that i learned from tony and jim Rohn and everybody i was dealing with back when i was growing up to leave that legacy behind so that's what one of the things i do right now is help help that uh gen extras and millennials help them with these key leadership strategies mm-hmm I love Tony Robbins. I love Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn, I, I kind of discovered after Tony Robbins, but Tony Robbins, uh, 
the book up in the top left right here, the, the old one. Uh, that's uh, Awaken the Giant Within right there. And that was one of the first books I had, uh, I had read that, that shaped sort of my, my destiny, you know, um, many years ago. Like, I mean, I guess only three years ago. What was your relationship with Tony? Well, I was very fortunate because I, I was the head of security for Tony for 10 years. I got to travel with him and basically learn to absorb everything that he taught. So I, I had the privilege and honor not only to call him a friend, but work with him as a security director. And he became, after this, he became sort of my mentor. He was coaching me and mentoring me on what to expect, what some things that were going to open up for me, how, to, you know, how some things, how I should handle some things. And so he was sort of mentoring me after the plane crash because he was the only person that called me in the hospital that night. Really? He's uh, my, he's the only one. And we, uh, he was sort of walking me through what the expectations were going to be and things were going to happen. And he was pretty close to it. So I call him not only a friend and mentor, but, um, you know, somebody who, uh, who, who is genuine and congruent. And that's what I look for in people are the authentic and congruent. Right on, right on. So you talk a lot about physiology as well. Um, so what are the sort of explain physiology to people who don't know that term um, and how we can take advantage of our physiology? Well, I, I talk about physiology because that's the fastest way for you to change your state of mind on anything. And that's why when someone goes into an unresourceful state, you see them in a meeting and they're all down and, they want to check their email, wherever else, and, they, and they're unresourceful. You got to do something in the front to move your body, which is basically moving your body to change your state. And that's what physiology does. And you know, I I help people to be able to go do, help with them with those triggers on how to do it without really having to jump up and down like everybody. Some people do. Um, you know, and I have certain things that I trigger me that you know I might get in an unresourceful state, and I'm going to pour physiology, and all of a sudden I might just do something really quick. And all of a sudden, I'm ready to engage. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've learned triggers on how to manage my state through my physiology, through my verbal, my, my internal dialogue, and my, how I focus things. And, you know, that day on the plane, I had to manage it through my internal dialogue because you can't get up and move around, right? I mean, you're going down. I mean, you're going down. So, what you, do you tell yourself? Well, the question I kept asking myself as I was going through this is, how can I add even more value and enjoy the process? Because that was a question I always asked myself. It's like, okay, let's go resource. So I kept asking that question because it put in my mind, I'm adding value right now, even though we're going down and how can I enjoy this? And the way I can enjoy is I'm going to heaven. Hey. <laughs> I'm going to be in a better place. So, and that was a question that I, I started asking myself. I can ask myself every day to put myself in that state of, of gratitude is, you know what? It's all about adding value. If I add value to somebody, it's going to come back to me tenfold. The Bible says that it's going to come back to you tenfold if you give it out. So right my goal is always to how to add even more value because that presupposes I've already added value. Mm. So you reframed your mindset around uh, what was going on around you and the whole event, the whole happening, the whole trauma reframed your life, you say, right? right? Your, your perspective of the world, how so, and not a, I, I don't really plan on getting in a plane crash in my life. How can I? No one ever does. No, no one, one ever, ever does. No one ever does. Right. But I'll, I'll be on a plane. I'll be on a plane this month uh, for my birthday. And um, who knows? But anyway, how, how, how did you 
how did you reframe? How was how are things reframed for you after that after that trauma? And how can someone who's not really dealing with plane crashes, but more more just everyday stresses, how can they reframe their sense of self, their perspective? Well, I'll, I'll take the second question first, and then I'll tell you how. The second question is how can you do it and on an everyday basis? You don't need to go through a plane crash to do it. You don't have to. Is become conscious of the meanings you're constantly creating in your brain. See, people will go through life and there's meanings going on all the time, but they don't, they're not conscious of it. It just happens. That's why I call the book Moments Matter because all these moments actually mean something in our life. And if you, unless you become conscious of the meanings you're constantly creating, you never understand it. And once you become conscious, then you can reframe it. So, okay, instead of seeing this thing half empty, I see it half full. And if it's half full, wow, I've got gratitude. Instead of it's half empty and I'm going down, it's like, why somebody else drink the other half? I mean, so it, it's, you got to become conscious of the meanings you are constantly creating. That's how you can take the second step of reframing and how I reframed afterwards. There's a mo many things, but I would probably say the two key things is, is I was able to prioritize. I, I changed the way I prioritized my time where I was working for a company then. And if they would have called and said, you got to be in New York, I'd get on a plane and go to New York and my family's would have to, I wouldn't be there for my family. Where I realized, you know what? I just went down a plane crash on company time. I got my priorities whacked. I mean, you know, I'm doing this for them, and they would have put somebody on that plane next week. My job, next man up. So I said, I've got to re reframe that to where now I schedule everything around my family's time, and everything else fits in, which has changed my relationship with my family, which is key, because I don't think I was losing them, but I wasn't connected to them. Okay. That's one thing I reframed. The other thing I reframed is I became less, less judgmental where I, I'm not proud of it. Well, I used to be very judgmental. I would say I could, I, I'd size you up pretty quick. It's like, okay. Uh. You know? I mean, I grew up in the sixties and you know, you had kids with long hair, right. And tattoos and that's a hippie freak. And that's just what you've reframed it, right? You had that connection where now it's like, you know what, unless I know somebody's backstory, I have no basis to judge people because I saw something happen and everybody judged this guy, and I was judging him too. I'm not, I'm not clean on this. But I real found out that he was going through a divorce and he, and he lost his job, and no wonder he was in an unresourceful state. I said, I judge this dude. How many times have I done that in my life and cut off a relationship or cut off an opportunity? And by changing mm -hmm. that one thing, Jordan, that's why you and I are talking today. You would never talk to me unless I changed that one mindset, that one reframe that, be less judgmental because I would never know you. I would never know the person that contacted you to contact me. All these connections, right? Never would have happened if I didn't change that one thing. Right, right on, right on. So how, how can someone who's feeling lonely, right? Because that's a pretty common thing in this world. A lot of people feel lonely. I, I'm in college mm -hmm. um, and a lot of, a lot of 20 year olds are, are lonely, right? Especially in this Facebook, Instagram world now where there are more lonely people than ever. How can someone reframe that feeling of loneliness? It's an interesting you ask that question because as soon as you said that, it triggered me to a situation I saw actually probably I think it was in Maui, Hawaii when I was with Tony and 1,500 people in the room and he asked how many people were lonely and 20 mm -hmm. people or so raised their hands, right? They said, you know, all right, everybody else sit down. You got 1,400 other people right here you can meet me up with. It's like the remedy to loneliness is going out and being with other people. I mean, it's not that hard, right? I mean, you can get up and you can go to McDonald's. 
right? Because right now everybody's locked into social media, right? And that's that wall. They, they, can, they can be whoever they want behind that social media wall, anybody, right? Mm -hmm. And so no wonder they're lonely because they, they're getting bullied. They're getting uh, knocked down and no one knows who they are. So they can go out and do that to somebody else. The remedy to loneliness is just you have to go out and engage with other people. And you don't do it through Facebook, through LinkedIn, through Instagram, you know, Twitter. You don't do it that way. You have to be in connection with other people because one of the six human needs are is connection. And everybody has the need for connection, right? And some it's higher onto their priority chain than others. But people are lonely. The connection is a one of the top human needs they have, but they don't know how to do it. So they have uncertainty. I mean, it's like, it's, it's very easy to fix loneliness, right? You, you just also make that the must you have to have. You got to be less lonely. You go out with other people. And ultimately, yeah, okay, I don't know how to talk to other people. Well, just start talking. They'll, they'll <laughs> tell you. So I've seen, I've seen Tony remedy that just like, just like that. And that's basically how you do it. So and, and it all comes down to the six human needs. And then I, I, I talk a lot about that because it, that changed my life when I learned that strategy. When I learned that strategy, all of a sudden my sales shot up in my business. Shot up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So does time not does time heal everything? Do you what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? Because I'd well, seen I'd seen you done a piece on that. Yeah, I yeah, before I would say before I probably had time wouldn't heal everything. There's still probably some relationships I look back that you know hadn't healed, but once you know, once you realize that nothing is permanent, only thing that's permanent is death and taxes. That's it. That's the only thing that's permanent, death and taxes. And so I look back at some of those relationships, and I now have gratitude for some of the people who treated me poorly. And so time has healed that because it's like, you know what? If I if they hadn't treated me that poorly, I mean, I got this job. And if I didn't get this job, I mean, I'd be on this plane crash. If I ain't on this plane crash, I'd be out, you know, marketing software instead of talking to you. So you just got you put everything in proper perspective, right? And so I think time, time does heal and time can heal very quickly based on how you put the, you know, being conscious of the meanings you're attaching to this, what just happened to you. Mm. So really a large part of it is the reframing. Most definitely. Yes. The meaning of everything is really the most power, one of the most powerful things we can, we can control. So if we're going to heal or, or come back from our personal plane crash, mm -hmm. as you call it, which I love, because we all have these personal plane crashes yep. in our lives. Uh, the way to come back from that personal plane crash and to develop, you develop a personal flight plan based on, um, I'm sure many things, but one of them is reframing it. Um, what else goes into the personal flight plan of yours for life? Well, you know, number one is I talk about pro time is now probably the most important thing, more important than money. And if people say, well, how can that be? Well, I was making a lot of money when my previous career, I worked for a company and, and I was doing well, I was a top producer. So, you know, but I realized that they had my, they owned my time. They owned my time. Mm. And I, I found everybody's got you and I have, it's the only thing you and I have equal or we have 24 hours this day. That's it. That's the only thing we have equal. So time has become precious. So that's when I made the mindset that I had to shift that I had to start taking over and controlling my time, you know, and, and go back to Robert Kiyosaki's book, you know, the 21st century business is he talked about the four quadrants, right? Where you're an employee or you're a sole business owner, or you're somebody who, who wants to build a business or an investor. Those two, four different quadrants. 
And all of a sudden I started reading this book and all of a sudden I started coming to me, right? I was an employee and now I'm a, a self-employed person. But the real wealth where people can control their time are the ones who build, have their own business network or in their investing. And those people can do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. That's why they're truly happy. So my goal is now help people move from this, these two quadrants over to these two quadrants and helping them with their own personal leadership skills on how to do that. Mm-hmm. Wealth of time. Yep. Very important. All about time. Also very important too. What is time without attention? Intention. Right? A lot of, a lot of people like, you know, when they're, I'm sure you've heard something like this before when they're in the shower, they're in the car on the way to work. When they're in the car on the way to work, they're at work. You know, they're thinking about being at work. Uh, when they're at work, they're thinking about driving home When they're driving home. They're thinking about having dinner and, and on and on, you know, it's like, I mean, clouds don't rush across the sky, you know, they, pixie dust and sunshine. What'd you say? Like you said, pixie dust and sunshine. Uh-huh. That's just not that way, man. Yeah. It's time, wealth of time and wealth of attention. Mucho importante for sure. Um, so also now with meaning, um, I had read Viktor Frankl's, man's search for meaning with, uh, you know, all about the concentration camps and how he found meaning in it. Uh, but I also, I go back and forth between two schools of thoughts. One is, you know, uh, finding a meaning and attaching a meaning to difficulty and adversity, right? It's a lot of people do that. That's very popular. But then the other school of thought is life is, life is a mystery. No sense in, waste no 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 sense in wasting time to figure it out what do you think about that well i always try to figure out the meanings of things i mean i'm i'm all in but i i you know i wrote a blog about that about victor frankel and that's my set because i had the opportunity a few years ago that um it opened up to me and fortunately i took the opportunity and i'm exactly where i'm sitting you and i are speaking now that's where it happened um and i met I had a couple of neighbors who needed help and they, you know, they, you have neighbors and you know, you could do whatever you can for your neighbors. I mean, these are two older ladies, right. And they needed help getting their TV on. And, you know, they, so they called my wife, my wife called me right where I'm sitting and said, Hey, can you go help them turn their TV on? And one thing I'm good at Jordan's turn TVs on. I am really good on how to get TVs working. Cause I love watching sports. <laughs> right. So I walked down the street here and they, I walked in and fixed your TV and they said, can you stay for some milk and cookies? And they said, course love milk and cookies right especially for two older ladies who could probably bake these are probably you know tremendous cookies right so i'm all in man so you know they're getting the milk and cookies and i'm sitting there and all of a sudden i'm sort of watching you know some of the books they have in front of their coffee table a little open all of a sudden i open it up and there were pictures of concentration camps and i love world war ii history i'll watch it i'll read it but they came out i said hey where's this stuff from this is this is cool stuff can i they said, well, we were there. And all of a sudden, they looked at me and they rolled their sleeves up and I saw the numbers on their arms. And I know that because I, what I know about history, because I love history, is that means they were in a concentration they, camp. They, like, ta- they tattooed them on them. Oh, yeah. They, 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 they burned them into their arms. And they wow. were, they said, we were there. They survived. They showed me in those pictures. I said, you got to tell me the story. And I, I cannot record the story. I said, no, you can't record it, but we'll tell you the story. 
So I wish I would have recorded because these two ladies have now passed on. You know, they've, that story is gone, except for people like me who know it. And I said, what's the, I, and I thought about it. That's why I wrote, wrote that blog about Victor Frank. It was like, you know, these two ladies survived one of the most horrific situations in the history of this world as kids. And then they survived it and now thrived and grew from it here in Charlotte, North Carolina, had a beautiful house, lived a great life. And I said, that's it. But Victor Frankl said exactly, I mean, they attached a meaning to this as they survived and they'll never let it happen again. It's always be a survivor. And I said, you know what? That, that's why I wrote that blog. And that's one of the things that I tell people is you think you're having a bad day, all right? Yeah, you had a bad day. You didn't get the right sauce, at, you know, the jumbo jack down a jack in the box, right? You didn't get it, right? And you're mad. My son gets this way. He didn't get his ketchup at the McDonald's. I'm like, yeah, okay, let's talk about these ladies who went to concentration camp, or even worse, let's talk about those poor kids in Ethiopia who have nothing, have no clothes, no food underneath. Let's put some things in proper perspective that somebody in this world is having a bad, worse day than you are. How do you, how do you, because I say that a lot too, but how do you actually get to putting yourself in that person's shoes? And, and yep. uh, is the word sympathy or empathy? I think it's, uh, how do you actually appreciate that perspective? Well, it's, it's different. Hard. It's different now than it was when I grew up. It's a lot easier now than when I grew up. Cause when I grew up, the only way you learned about these kind of people were Encyclopedia Britannica or your mom told you to go to the library and you had to check out a book. Nowadays, you got the internet and within seconds, you can find somebody's story and even better, you can contact them. So I tell people, I mean, if you want, you want to talk to somebody, I'll, I'll take, give you a perfect example. There's a lady that I met now two years ago who survived the avalanche in Nepal. Now, one of the benefits I get to have is I talk to people who survive traumatic things in their lives. And I got a phone call. I was actually driving up through Georgia, and I got this phone call from a friend that said, you got to talk to this lady. She's in a cabin. She won't come out. She's freaking out. Why? Uh, she survived, survived the avalanche. I said, well, that's great. She goes, well, no, she's having survivor guilt. So she would not come out. So I talked to her a couple of times over the last couple of years. And I, 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 she's, I, her mindset is, why did I survive? And they didn't. See, and one of the first questions I was asking in an interview after the plane crash in Buffalo was, Dave, why do you think you survived and those people in Buffalo all, all died? That was one of the first questions I got in an interview in Montreal. And I said, it wasn't my time. It just wasn't my time. You know, I mean, and I not to say it's their time, but it wasn't my time. I keep trying to help her. It's like, put yourself in this. It wasn't your time. You're here for a bigger purpose, right? Those folks live their life. You're here for, God saved you for a reason. You just got to figure out what that reason is, and you can't do it from sitting in a, in a cabin in northern Ontario. And so I don't know what's happened. I haven't talked to her probably now in six, seven months. But I try to help her. It's like, you're not the only person to go through this, right? Mm-hmm. Let's put, put you in contact with somebody who just survived, you know, pancreatic cancer or something like that, right? Who lost all her hair or, or breast cancer, lost both of her breasts. Let's talk to somebody who's or come back from Iraq, right? We can give you plenty of people, right? Get to plenty of people, and now you can get in contact with them because they'll talk to you, right? <laughs> right? Totally, so you yeah. Honestly, you go on the internet, go on LinkedIn and put their name in. Hey, I saw you survive this. I'm, I need your help with this. 30 seconds later, you're on the phone with them. Mm. So no, I don't take that excuse anymore. It's like, listen, if you have a problem, you can get in contact with somebody. You just got to get around the right people and get yourself reframed in the right mindset because the reason you're alive is there's a meaning behind it, Right? 
There's a meaning behind it. I mean, you know, we're seeing right now, John McCain just passed away. We're seeing the meanings of his life, right? Come out, right? And there's some people that's disparaging, which there's always going to be somebody. There's always going to be somebody that's going to do that. But now we're understanding the meanings of his life and how, how country came before everything else, right? And so now that's why people respect that. And so if when you ever have a problem like that, it's like, you know, you think, you, you think you're not good enough for something. It's like, he didn't think he was good enough. I heard some stories today. Really? He didn't think he was good enough. He didn't think he was going to win this first center race because he made a major, major mess up. And he had to correct it. And so he was really feeling bad for himself. But then he put himself in a situation. Well, I heard the story this morning. And if it's true, I'm thinking it's true. Any more in the news, you don't know whether it's true or not. I'll tell you it's true. You know, he had somebody basically reframe him. Say, hey, John, you know, you, you, got, you survived the Vietnam War. We'll survive this, right? They had to reframe him. And all of a sudden, he won 85 to 15 in his first center race. So mm-hmm. there's a lot, you can get a hold of anybody now, Jordan. I mean, I'm not, I don't take that as, you know, I can't find anybody. No, there's plenty of people out there. I, I agree. I reach out to people on LinkedIn all the time. It's, yep. it's, um, I'm kind of like a whiz kid on, on LinkedIn. It, it, people are like taken aback by, it. <laughs> especially kids my age a lot. You know, it's so funny. Uh, in, in one of my classes the other day, uh, a marketing class uh, and and we were talking about LinkedIn and one of the girls raised her hand and said, what's LinkedIn? <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's the platform you should be on. It's the platform. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious now when the movie, when the Sully movie came out, which by the way, uh, people should watch that if they haven't great movie, I think now to someone who was actually on the plane and helping out uh, one of the heroes from that day. What did you think of that movie? Was anything um, misconstrued, forgotten about? What do you think? I think it was fairly accurate. I was very, I was very honored to be able to meet Clint Eastwood um, and be, you know, and we did that one scene and I was very honored to be there. But after I, we watched it, they, they took the liberties of a couple of things and they always will. So I was ready for that. But the story is fairly representative. So I would think it was very accurate. Um, there's a couple of things, right? I mean, like my wife picked out one thing, but it's no big deal, you know, you know. But other than that, I think it was fairly representative. So, Dave, you've been speaking around the world. You've been placed in, you've been seen in all these major media companies uh, or publications, and you've survived a plane crash. What is next for you, Dave Sanderson. Well, uh, thanks for asking because now it's about leaving the legacy behind. Because one of the things I realized, and and Tony told me this years ago, but I think it's now coming true. That it's it's my it's my responsibility to all these things that I learned and all of our responsibilities to share these 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 lessons and strategies we learned to the next generation. So where my where my career is taking me now is yes, I'm still speaking. Uh, but I put a course together called Cultivating Personal Leadership because, you know, I want to be able to give, give these leadership skills out to people. They can just go online and get it just like that. Uh, so in case I'm not here, in case they can contact me, they have access to it. And, you know, I've also opened up. I've got a, a very exclusive, I hate to use tribe, but a group of people. Of, so people who want to have access to people who are like a Hall of Fame basketball player or a no, big motivational speaker or someone who's won seven national championships in the NCAA 
get inside their heads and have one-on-one -on -one access because my job right now, Jordan, is giving people access to the people that I, I have access to. And if I can help people get that, to give access to somebody who's, who's a multimillionaire, who's walked the talk, who's lived it, and they can have a one-on-one -on -one interaction with them once a month, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. That's, that's pretty powerful. Cool. I think, so that's what we're doing now. And then um, the next book is starting up, uh, which is, uh, we'll try to kick that off in January on the 10th anniversary. So that's, uh, those are some of the things we're doing right now. And I'm, and I was just asking, I've agreed to do it, to take on four people who want to learn how to go from the corporate world to being on stage. Cause I did it very quickly. I used the strategies and they said, what's your strategy? Cause you went from basically being a corporate guy and all of a sudden you're on stages around the world. What, how did you put that? So now I said, I'll take on, I'll tell people, four people how to do it so they can then go out and tell people how to do it. So I'm doing that likewise. Right on Dave. How can we support you? How can we stay connected with you? Well, Number one, if you go to my website, davesandersonspeaks.com, that would be tremendous. Uh, you can get all the information there. You can, get, you, know, you can get information about this group. It's called Impact that we're putting together, and I'd love for you to check that out, anybody who's listening. But yeah, and then we talked about LinkedIn, because right now, connect with me on LinkedIn, because that's where I'm putting a lot of my content right now, my free content. I'm just putting it on LinkedIn so people can have access to some of this knowledge that I have and I've learned and, and, and some of the people I've interacted with. So, um, and that's probably the best ways of through LinkedIn, the Dave, David Sanders on LinkedIn, my website. And then um, you can also through my website, check out my course, Cultivating Personal Leadership. But I'll tell you what I'll do is also, is if everybody who's listening, if they want to text 797979 and put the word brace, the number four impact in, I'll send them the first video of the course free. It's called Cultivating or it's called Overcoming Adversity in Challenging Times. I'll give that as a gift and they'll be free from these. They text that, they'll get that immediately. Right on, Dave. Thank you very much. So before I ask my final question now, I want to acknowledge you for living your purpose and having all this energy and framing that plane crash, your, your personal plane crash, and developing an awesome personal flight plan for yourself where you can take on just about any adversity at this point and you you can handle it with confidence and with with care and craft and you get the job done you're a go-getter thank you i appreciate it. that's awful awful you say jordan appreciate that absolutely so what does life beautifully designed look like to you well the way that i my, my life's beautifully designed is i'll be able to do what i want where i want with whomever i want when i want i mean that's the way i and that's where you look at my my wall which you cannot see right now that's what I have right here. Is that's the ultimate goal for me? Is get to the point where I can just I can be around people I want to be around at any time I want and be happy and help them and help them grow and help them start a business whatever they want to do and that'll give me true happiness. Dave Sanderson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Jordan Monitor, thank you very much. There you have it, my friends. That was Dave Sanderson. This is Growth Mindset University, and you can navigate your own personal plane crash with your own personal flight plan. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, share it out with jordanparishealth.com slash EP33. And make sure that you subscribe as well if you got value from this. Subscribe so that you do not miss future episodes. And if you believe that this is a healthy message for the world to hear, you can Leave us an honest review in Apple Podcasts because it really helps us spread our message of growth even further. Thank you so much 
in advance. And until next time, my friends, make every day count. Live to learn and grow to give.